Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Missouri-based Kuat Racks. For trailblazing rides or Class 4 river drops, Kuat makes racks that help get your gear where you want to be. Their new Class 4 kayak rack locks, folds, and stacks up easily for hauling and stowing your gear. Not to mention, you'll want to keep a Class 4 on the roof at all times because it actually looks good up there. Kuat, because you love your bike and your kayak. Get your next adventure on your vehicle at Kuat, that's K-U-A-T dot com. It's the kind of deer that I, I would not have gotten if it hadn't been for learning all the things we've been learning interviewing people. Yeah. Let's say that about the trout we got and the bear and all of it. It's just like we're learning how to do it, and it's so cool. Part of hunting is the camaraderie, the mm-hmm. the celebration of like, you know, you shoot a really big deer. Like, you want to celebrate this with people and people who you spend a lot of time with hunting. Um, and so it was like, boom, I'm climbing down. Mm-hmm. Let's go see it. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle, Kyle, and Dan on the mic today, and winter is here, Christmas is coming. And uh, we've got some some deer stories for you guys today. We're going to do some real reactions like you guys have heard us do before. We're going to start with deer stories because my oh my, things have been done. They have. Our good buddy Kyle here has been the one doing them. We just got done <laughs> scoring this deer. And I'm going to say as it's as official as unofficial can be. Meaning I'm not an official scorer, but we officially <laughs> scored it. <laughs> as officially <laughs> as we... Can. As officially as we know how. And we use an official ruler. <laughs> it, it has inches on it. It does have inches. And we it, actually, I think, did a really good job. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think that. <laughs> we have a number. That's all I'm saying. We do have a number, and it is a it is a large number. It's a large number. For the Ozarks. And we'll share it at the end of the story. And we're going we're gonna to tell that story. I've got two deer stories for us. Okay. Which one do you want me to start with? Let's just start with the day that all of this happened. Because actually, the our two stories happened on the same day they collide they collide in in the timeline of life on this one day and so to set it up hallowed day this hallowed day what was the day what was the date november 11th whoa i knew i had something happen crazy on november 11th (laughs) what did you have dan i can't tell you yet (laughs) (laughs) must have been wild (laughs) we'll come back to that story dan but november 11th opening rifle yeah Yes. That's right. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Opening day. And man, I I am in this place right now. I'll back now. you up. We called each other on the way to our spots. Do you remember? I do remember At like 4.15. It was so early. Yeah. And it was like, dude, it feels like a good freaking day to be in the woods. <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. So start there. Okay. That's You're probably the only person on the planet who I've ever had a conversation with at four in the morning over the phone. About deer. <laughs> But yes, that is how we started the day. We both woke up um, and 
cruising to two different places. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, they're about 30 minutes apart, but mm-hmm. similar places. Um, and you called me or you text me and you're like, are you heading out? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm heading out. And then we call each other as we're driving down the road. I'm already down the road. I'm actually early, which never happens to me. I'm always the guy who's late. And it's like, I'm climbing into the tree as the sun's coming up. And I'm like, crap, why, why did I do this to myself again? I'm going to get busted. But I'm early this time and I'm feeling good about it. And so I remember telling you that. And you're like, cool, man. Like, get after it. Let's do it. And then you were headed to your spot. And then the hunt starts. So I, I, don't, I don't know where you want to start with your story. But for me, I'll just talk about going into rifle season. And at this point... I have been on this journey to harvest a buck, a big buck with my bow. And I'm in this kind of tricky spot now where I want to rifle hunt, but more than I want to rifle hunt and increase my odds of harvesting a good deer, I just want to get a big buck with with my compound. Mm-hmm. And so opening day of rifle season, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm sticking with the bow. I'm doing it. Like risky move. Risky move, but I'm I'm just doing it. But and, honorable. You know what? You gotta you gotta make the hard decision sometimes. So I just did it, and I was like, that was kind of the mindset going into it. I was like, you know what? It's the rut, and they're moving. And if I'm ever gonna do it, like I gotta just keep after it. It'll happen eventually. And so I do it. I have a great sit. I mean, first thing is the sun comes up. I see does moving. I see a, a couple young bucks moving through, and it's a great morning. You and me are texting, and at some point we're both like, oh man, things are changing. There's a big deer on the way in. Talk me through how your day started. So I don't have, I don't have any plans to not hunt with a rifle when it's rifle season. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much decided. You're committed. You're, you're when, going when it's legal. It's happening. Yeah, uh, that's because a I've seen too many big deer at like just too far away with a bow during just rifle season. Just out of reach. B I've killed a big deer, uh, not my biggest, but a nice deer with archery equipment, and then C my hunting time is so limited with having a family and work and everything right now that it's like, as soon as I can kill one with a rifle, I'm going to do it. And that's also because I'd been hunting quite a bit with my bow and had been passing on small deer, passing on doe, had seen some big deer with a bow, but not close enough. So it's like, as soon as I can have a rifle, it's happening. Like I'm getting in the tree with it. So I get out in the woods, first time hunting this spot, this particular spot this season. I don't have any cameras actually remember talking about this with Sam and Sam Hallam's episode of like, I've kind of given up on the trail cam thing for this season of my life. I may get back into it, but like going in blind. And I remember you and I on the, on the car ride out there saying like, anything could happen. We have no idea what kind of deer are on this, are on this property or on this spot, but anything could happen. And my honest idea, because I had a honeydew list for the rest of the day on Saturday was the first average legal buck to walk in front of me is getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Or the first big doe that's not like a yearling doe, like a puppy dog doe. Right. It's it's done. Yeah. I want venison. Yeah. I want meat in the freezer. Oh, yeah. And so <clears throat> I climb up in the tree, and my, my plan was I'm going to sit in the tree for two hours, and then I'm going to get down, and I'm going to move around and go mobile because I wanted to hunt all the way up until noon, and not have to stay in one place. And it was, the deer were moving so much that I wanted to move to where they were moving if I wasn't seeing them. So I get in a tree. I had a, a little doe under me as soon as day breaks. And then 
30 minutes later, I'm watching a little buck push a little doe around. He's grunting, which is always fun to see, you know, little buck running through the woods, making a bunch of noise. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna get down, and I'm going to go hike around, and I'm going to look. It's a little early. I look back behind me, and there's this field. I'm kind of on this high ridge in the, in the woods, and behind me in the field, I can see deer moving around, like a herd of does. I'm like, I want to go find, I want to go sit by those. Like if, if there's a hot doe in that mix and a buck comes out, that's where I want to be. So I get out of the tree and I'm messing with my stuff and I'm like getting a snack or getting hot hands or something out of my backpack. And I hear coming up the mountain, what you hope to hear in the deer woods, which is just racket. <laughs> like Just noise. Loud noise. Sounded, I mean, sounded like, I don't know, sounded like a train moving through the woods. Just reckless noise is he just busting through brush and stuff yeah in the thick stuff okay. so he's coming up a little draw up the hill tearing through brush and limbs and i'm like it's so loud that i'm like this is gonna be a huge deer and if it's not i'm gonna be really disappointed deer comes over the crest of the hill and i see nothing but big antlers and i honestly thought he was a really nice eight point yeah like i thought just a big eight point and so i would throw up the gun he's probably 55 yards away there's some open windows. It's There's some thick brush. I waited until he was moving through an open window. I didn't even try to stop him or bleed him or grunt him or anything. All I know is in my scope, he turned and looked at me. And I had what I've had very few times in my hunting career, which is the the moment where there's no question of like, oh, it's a nice deer. I may take him. Mm -hmm. It was pure, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a big deer. <laughs> I'm shooting that deer. I'm shooting that deer. Yeah. And so he moves across a lane, and I don't – it was probably dumb. I didn't stop him to shoot. As he was moving, I shot. Yeah. Shot right at the shoulder. And gun goes off. Deer takes off. And then I'm like, I've just done it. That – it's he's dead right there. Like, I'm convinced he's he's dead right there. You felt good about the felt shot. So, yeah, felt great about the shot. Then I made a crucial mistake, which I'm glad we do a podcast because hopefully we can warn others of this mistake. If you're a bow hunter and, you know, you're worth your weight in salt, you shoot at a deer with a bow. It doesn't matter how good you think your shot is. You're waiting at least 45 minutes before you go do anything, yeah. right? Unless you see him like... Unless you see him die. Die right <laughs> there. Yeah, line. but if he takes off, yeah. like you're waiting before you go find your arrow and track blood and all of that. So I didn't see this deer take off. I thought I dropped him. I thought he was done in the brush. And uh, so I just immediately march over there. Whoa. And I'm like, he's going to be dead right here. And I walk over there. I did not give him t like five minutes. And I see this deer get up and run down the mountain. Oh, man. That's not what you so want to see. So I bumped him. Yeah. That's not what you want to see. And then you texted me. Yeah. And your text said, I just shot at a big eight point. <laughs> and I said, bro, same. <laughs> yeah. So, I did the same. So while you were doing that, I'm sitting there in, in, in this tree. And I've seen a couple deer moving at this point. I had some does move through. I had a young buck move through. And then, and really, I'm sitting there and I'm actually starting to get a little bit um, jealous because I'm hearing what sounds like cannons go off all around me. And if you know, if you've been in the deer woods when it's opening day of rifle season, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, this guy, it sounds like my next, my neighbor, he's shooting this guy across the creek. He's shooting this guy over there is shooting. It's like everyone's seeing deer, shooting deer, but me. And I'm just sitting there waiting. Well, you know, I start feeling that way, but then boom, out of nowhere, this big old eight point 
just runs in on a dead sprint, gets to the tree line where I'm at, and then slows down, but still on a decent, you know, walk, a decent pace. And I don't have my bow in my hand. I don't have anything ready. I just like scan and boom, he's there. And so at this point, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's it's happening. Like he's at 20 yards right in front of me and I'm about to take this deer. Like this is, it's gonna happen, right? So, I, so I'm getting excited, but I'm, I'm calm, I'm collected. I get my bow. I, I bend around, I'm in my saddle. I bend around the tree a little bit and I'm waiting for him to, to walk out right into this perfect lane and I get drawn back and he does and I go to stop him and I go, Merrick. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't hear me. He's like so focused. And I think there's some does further off down where I can't really see that he had kind of been chasing. And he was so focused on them. I go, man, and he doesn't stop. And so now I'm like, I'm full draw. I'm waiting for him. And he goes another couple of yards. And I'm like, I got to stop this deer now or it's never going to happen because he's about to get to a spot where I I have no more shooting lanes. So I'm like, man. Almost to the point where I'm like, I'm going to scare this deer away. <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop it. And, uh, and so he finally stops and he turns and he looks and it's a good courting away shot. And so I pull back and I, boom, let it rip. I, you know, pull the, pull the release. And sure enough, man, that arrow went two yards under that deer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I clean miss and... <laughs> At, at the moment, I didn't know know that I missed. I, I thought, because, you know, that arrow hits and it hit a stick and a leaf and it made a pretty good noise. And you're like, oh, man, it could have been it. But I kind of feel like I, I didn't hit it. <laughs> and so I sit there for a minute and I'm thinking about what to do. Do I climb down? I need to go check my arrow because at this point, you know, I don't want to shoot another deer. It's just going to take a lot of time to do all this if I did hit that deer. So I get down. I go look at the at the arrow and it's t- completely clean. I missed. And what I what I realized happened was um, I, I paced it out. Once I found the arrow, I paced it back to my tree. And it was at 38 yards. I had that deer on my 30 pin. And in the time when I had, you know, um, did the math to stop him the first time to the time I finally got him stopped, I think he went about eight yards. Mm. And I just didn't make that adjustment being that it was it all happened so quick that it just he got further out and I just missed. Um so it was a, it was a bummer. It was so exciting though <laughs> and I didn't realize it and it was like after it happened I'm sitting there and I didn't get buck fever at all until like 2 or 3 minutes after I missed and that deer walked off because I was I didn't have time to get nervous and freaked out about it. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, two to three minutes after that deer left, I could not stop shaking. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you made a video and I thought it was just because maybe it was cold. I was like, gosh, dude, put on some more clothes or something. But you're like, no, like, dude, you're you're shaking. You can't even get like words out. No, it it was tough. It was like, yeah, it wasn't cold. I was just like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. And I I don't really know what that is. I, I think it's adrenaline that goes through your body, but. You know, if you deer hunt, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like uncontrollable. It's almost more fun than getting one. It's a weird feeling. (laughs) That feeling's crazy. Yeah. But um, anyways, so that was kind of the the story of my hunt. I sat there for a little bit longer. But then, you know, once I had texted you and I was like, I just shot a big eight. And you were like, bro, same. Me too. Then my, I was like, well, I missed. But Kyle, we don't know. We don't know what happened yet. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks, but there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight, so your camo matters. 
Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you gotta know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and haulers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code Ozark Air for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. So once I bump that deer up and I watch him run down the hill, I'm really, really mad at myself. Like I'm thinking, I was even texting you of like, we should call the tracking guys. We should get dogs out here. Like, what have I done? This was so dumb. So I ended up standing at the top of this hill after I watched him run down the hill. And I pulled out my, my gun pretty quickly, hoping I could get a shot at him, which it didn't happen. Um, end up standing at the top of the hill and glassing with my binoculars the bottom of the hill where it's river cane and nothing but like five or six foot tall trees and shrubs. And then you know those little red berries with the super bright green leaves? Do you uh, know what those are called? No, I don't. It looks like a holly berry, but it's not. You find them in like creeks and around creeks. It's yeah. the really bright red little berry yeah. cluster. With I know like what you're talking about. I don't know what they're called. That stuff. So everything is thick, 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 like real thick. Then I watched him run into that. And so I stand at the top of this hill with my binoculars looking into that stuff for a, a, anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour. I'm not totally sure. I tr like truly a long time. And this isn't mental math, like deer hunting math, like it feels like an eternity. I know from when I texted you to when I started moving, it was at the minimum 40 minutes could have been closer to an hour of just standing there and watching to see if I could see anything that happens. And I thought I saw enough brush go down that it's like, oh, maybe he, maybe he fell right there. I was listening. <clears throat> then I could smell him, not down there, but I could smell where he was. I could smell where he'd bedded the first time when he was shot. And I could smell the must because he was like rutted out. Mm -hmm. Like those, those glands were dark. You could you just smell him. And it was so still and so cool you could smell anything, yeah. Um, which is weird. That's never happened before. So I'm standing there thinking, I, I might have missed. I might have missed the deer or sh made a terrible shot, and he's jumped, and he's going to go forever. After standing there for that long, standing still, I then probably move 20 yards down the hill and find the first speck of blood, and that's when I send you a picture yeah. of like, okay, there's actual, there's actually blood. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you got him. Yeah. Like you, I feel good about that. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm freaking <laughs> out. 
I'm just trying to encourage you at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't give up, buddy. Don't give up. And once I found that first speck, um, probably only 30 yards from where he was shot, I backtracked to where I knew he was standing when I made the shot and found that I was proud of this because I'm normally not this good of a tracker. I found a tiny piece of flesh on a leaf. It looked like brisket meat. Really? Yeah. Took a picture of it and was like, that's like smelled it, picked it up, felt it. was like, that's, that's deer meat. Uh-huh. Um, but no blood. Yeah. Not like right there. Okay. It's like, okay, so I've hit him at least somewhere. And then go back to where I found the blood, start tracking it. I probably go 40 yards down the hill, able just to walk upright, tracking the blood. And then it gets so thick and the blood is, is not sparse, but just spotty that I'm on my hands and knees with my rifle crawling through this stuff, like <laughs> legitimately crawling because it's so twisted and thick in there. Probably for another 25-ish yards going really slow. And my whole game plan after I bumped him was like, I'm going to stand here for a while. Once I found blood, I felt better about the shot and knew it wasn't like a gut shot deal. It was like, if I go really slow and quietly, maybe if he's going to jump up again, I'll at least hear him. And if he's dead, I'll find him. Yeah. And Real quick, real quick. Yes. I know where this piece of land is. I'm not going to say where it is. So you were set up before the field, mm-hmm. up in the hill, and did he? you're saying he ran all the way to the river? No, he was in between. He was in between. Like hill, field, that little random island, where was? It would have been before the island. It's to the right. Would have been to the right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And all that thick stuff. Oh, yes. Like at the bottom of the hill before the field. The There's field, probably yeah. like... 25 yards of river cane and yeah, like yeah. break. Okay, I know where that is. Like I, I was I was just like, dang, he ran across the entire field. My like, gosh. <laughs> no. But to the right. Okay. Yeah. So was in that stuff, hands and knees, all like all the way through it. And then like I said, however many yards back in there, I got to where I could look up. I was so low I could look up with my binoculars and kind of scan. And then I saw I saw white hair, yeah. and then could smell him too because he was so rutted out, truly. Yeah, and saw that he was dead. And uh, I took a video of it. Y'all may have seen it on the story. I kind of zoomed in. You could see how thick it was in there. Of like, I found this deer, and uh, then I walk up on him, and he is not an eight point. No, <laughs> he's far from it. He's a thirteen point. <laughs> he was a thirteen point. And I lost my mind a little bit. Dude. I immediately Facetime my dad. I immediately. FaceTimed you. Yeah. I FaceTimed my dad, then I FaceTimed you, then I FaceTimed Joe Massey. I was just like FaceTiming <laughs> friends. I'm like, this is crazy. Look I was still deer. in the tree at this point. Like, I was still hunting. Yeah. And I had actually seen deer walk by like just minutes before, and you FaceTimed me. I'm like, I got to pick this up. Like, I, even if I'm just don't say anything, like, I got to see what's going on because I want to see this deer mm-hmm. at this point because I know you've got it if you're FaceTiming me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at that point, I packed up, I climbed down, I was like, my hunt's over because I would rather celebrate and go see this deer than sit here and, and maybe have a chance. I was just like, you know, it part of, and we've talked about this, part of hunting is the camaraderie, the mm-hmm. the celebration of like, you know, you shoot a really big deer, like you want to celebrate this with people and people who you spend a lot of time with hunting. Um, and so I was like, boom, I'm climbing down. Let's go see it. So I, I packed up. And I yeah. jumped in the truck and I headed your way. It was awesome. I called my dad. He drove like 30 minutes south to come yeah. to come help drag this thing out of the woods. Called my granddad. He came and did the same. So by the time you got there, we had like we had just gotten it field dressed. And I had field dressed it, I guess, before my dad came. But I was taking pictures of it and telling, telling the story with people on the phone. And we had 
we had gotten it out of the woods and you'd hike down the hill and yeah. we all got to stand around and tell the story again. How old was the buck? Oh, I need to get it like officially. Well, if out. you had to guess, like what? Six and a half. He was old. He was a little older. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. I can't imagine him being younger than that, honestly. Yeah. Like at least five and a half, but probably more like six and a half. Yeah. Old deer. Old gnarly His teeth were all ground buck. down. Like, dang. Yeah. So we, I mean, if you're watching the video, you can see it on the table. Yeah, this is um, this one right here. That's the deer. We're getting it mounted, but I I wanted to pick up the horns, antlers. Excuse me, proper <laughs> terminology here. The horns. <laughs> it's gnarly though. Yeah, it horns. is like it is. Gosh, it's cool. So we uh we just taped him out at 169 inches and two eighths. Is that right? Uh, and two eighths. Yeah, yeah. Two eighths. 169 two eighths, and then had the taxidermist do it. Uh, he's probably more official than me. He's probably better <laughs> at it, but he he got 163 and 7 eighths. So yeah. we're anywhere from 164 to 169, and I think it depends on if you're if you're scoring some of the kickers for gross and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, man, big old deer. I was, I was so thrilled. And it was so fun because, like, I was not expecting it. I didn't know he was on the property. I, didn't, I hadn't seen this deer before. I didn't have a trail camera of him. It wasn't like a go after it. He's the one I want. I'm yeah. waiting down on this deer. It was just like I I knew I was in a good spot. I was seeing activity. I I know where I'm hunting well. I know <clears throat> I know like I, the factors right that we talk about. Yeah. Um. We talked with Drew. We talked with Sam. Kind of putting all those pieces together and watching it all, all come together with the opening of rifle season it was just so fun. Yeah. yeah. Like I truly feel like it's the kind of deer that I I would not have gotten if it hadn't been for learning all the things we've been learning interviewing people. Yeah, absolutely. Which is just, I say that about the trout we got and the bear and all, like all of it. It's just like we're learning how to do it and it's so cool. I'm going to um, brag on you here for a second. This year that you have had so far has been the most unbelievable year for <laughs> I'll never top an it, bro. angler, a hunter. I mean, you, you've caught your personal best brown trout yep which was what a 26 and a half inch 26 and yeah 26 and a half 26 inch, inch on the fly yep on the fly then you harvested a bear six foot squared bear and then you shot a 13 Gosh. point 160 <laughs> plus inch deer in the ozarks and for me personally i mean everyone likes to throw out numbers and, and you know big deer right but i just love how unique he is with mm -hmm. The split eye guard, the crab claw, the different, like, this part here where he gets real thick and is almost palmated. Just the character on mm -hmm. that rack, to me, is is more valuable than anything. So oh, I agree. Um, man, I'm going to have to start finding new friends, is all I'm saying, because it, <laughs> it's going to be really hard to keep hunting and fishing next to <laughs> yeah. you if you keep doing stuff like this every year. I think 2024 is going to be your year. Yeah. <laughs> man, I hope so. I'll row the boat, I'll bait the bears, and I won't hunt. How's that sound? I won't make you do that, we'll man. Just, we'll just put you in the, I won't in the driver's seat. But yeah, fun deer. I got one more story real quick. Okay. So I've got a buddy who, uh, his name's Jack Barclay. Jack, if you're listening. Shout out to Jack. Shout out, brother. I'm glad you're on here. Uh, glad you're, at least I can tell your story. Uh, Jack started listening, I guess, pretty early on the Ozark podcast and was n did not grow up hunting and fishing, did not grow up in a family culture where that was kind of the thing to do. So Jack and I, uh, he reached out a couple of months ago and was like, Hey, I just want to let y'all know that because of your podcast and because I've grown up in this area, I've gotten into fly fishing. I've gotten into bow hunting. 
I want to kill a bear. I want to, I want to shoot ducks. I want to do it all. Like I'm about it, which is fun. He's a guy in his young twenties, newly married, has a yeah. little bit of extra income. Uh, it's like, this is what I want to do. So Jack picked up bow hunting this year and we were talking a week and a half ago, maybe this is as we're recording kind of before Thanksgiving. He was like, man, I'm killing does with my bow. I'm killing small bucks. I, I killed a small buck last year. I got a small buck this year. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a big deer with a bow. I just want something to hang on the wall. Yeah. I, I want something that I'm proud of. How does it happen? I was like, well, keep learning. Keep talking to people. Keep educating yourself. More than that, keep getting in the woods. Right. And I guarantee you, if you're in the woods long enough and you do it enough, you're going to get a big deer at some point. And you'll have something that you'll be proud to hang on the wall. So on Thanksgiving Day, I get a text from him. He's like, dude, I just shot at a huge deer <laughs> on public land with my bow. I'm freaking out. I don't remember the shot. I don't remember anything. I'm like, this is the coolest feeling ever. And he he calls me. He's finding the arrow. He's finding blood. He's like, how do I track this thing? How long do I wait? I loved it. It was all like first time, how do I find a big buck type questions. Right. Kind of post-shot. And uh, ends up tracking it for a while. He thinks he bumps it. He has to back out to go eat Thanksgiving lunch. Goes back afterwards to find it. Ends up with his dad and his brother-in-law and like a whole crew out in the woods. And they find this deer. And it is like, it is a true like world-class Ozark perfect mountain buck. Just a massive eight point. Yeah. And what you'd expect, like my kind of favorite deer. This is rare. Like this deer that we just told a story of. Right. I don't expect to see that in the woods very often. Yeah. What he... What he took down with the bow is more what you'd expect to find in the Ozarks, but like a whole another one or two or three degrees higher. Just a big, huge, typical eight. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. You showed me a picture. It's like a very high caliber Ozark buck. Yeah. Just a beautiful animal. And so he got that on Thanksgiving Day and was just so pumped. And he found a taxidermist. was like, I'm getting this thing mounted. What should I do? And it was just so fun, like having a buddy get into the outdoors because of, I don't know, something as simple as a podcast yeah. that we've now connected on and he's killing deer. Like that's, I don't know, it's just cool. It is cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I love anytime someone reaches out and they're like, man, you know, that little tactic I used it and it worked or, you know, that story, that was the thing that inspired me to go try this thing and look how it turned out. Stuff like that is, honestly, it's, it's cool for us to mm -hmm. get to see kind of the stuff that we're learning, other people are learning alongside with us, and um, and then for them to like put it to use and have success, makes it all that much more fun. That's yeah, awesome for sure. Hey, I'll make a deal with you. If you want to feel good as an outdoorsman, I'll go hunting and fishing with you next year. All right, man. <laughs> You'll be like, I'm so good. I, mean, I know everything compared to this guy. <laughs> this guy didn't know anything. Didn't you say I was the worst fisherman? You've you're ever just met? gonna keep bringing that up over and over. You said it, man. I just <laughs> I just want to make sure that's what you said, man. Um. You have you have come a long way from when we first started, so I'll give you that. Not, not very long, but well, <laughs> not very far. Is but. this an official, now that it's out in public, like you are going to hunt and fish with us all next year? I think it's like the third time I've said it, so like <laughs> maybe. We'll see what happens. Building in some accountability. I would here. rather get into fishing than hunting, to be completely honest. That's fair. It seems a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more of the layman's sport. Mm -hmm. Fishing is a little bit more of a... Um, I just feel like there's a higher price to get into it. I mean, hunting. Sorry. Hunting. Hunting, sorry. Yeah. It seems like a lot more. 
more niche. It is. Well, fishing is definitely a, a lot more approachable. Just, yeah. I mean, gosh, a, a rod to go buy from even a Walmart rod, like yeah. 20, 30 bucks. You get some tackle. You can head out and hit a pond, hit a lake, hit a creek. creek. Yeah. I like the creek fishing. Like what we did where you're like spotting. Like, Dude. That stuff's fun. I can't wait for spring again to yeah. go do some more smallmouth fishing. Yeah. Because you were tearing them up. Hey, man. We'll get after it again. Yeah, for sure. All right. We got to move on. Um, so we're going to go through some some real reactions and um, and kind of going to re-highlight some content that we put out there that you guys reacted to and, and um, thought was cool, got some good reception. So I'm going to play it again. Um, this one is from our episode with Sam Hallam up in Missouri. Um, and he was talking about the differences between hunting deer and bucks in the Ozarks versus other places in the Midwest, like Kansas, for example. When I hunt Kansas, I'm probably not moving all day. The deer are just different. They respond to calling. Rattling. You can rattle. Yeah, we've heard that a lot recently. Too. Dude, you can rattle bucks in left and right. Deer here, super different. I had a time once where I was hunting some public land and I grunted and here comes this buck and he gets like probably 35 and I draw back and I give him just a little meh. The second that meh, left my lips. He turned on a dime, snored, blew oh at me, God. just gone back the way he came. Oh, I was no. like, what Seriously? in the world? You know, <laughs> just different deer, man. So there's an example of him trying to stop a deer that took off. And that's exactly what I was <laughs> yeah. scared I was going to do on the, the buck that I was just talking about. Yeah. Is that like timeline wise, were you in the stand after that episode or before? After. After. Yeah. Was that going through your mind at all? Not really, but but I was sitting there you know, you never want to be too loud. Like, you just want to make enough noise to where that deer hears you, potentially thinks it's another deer, and then turns to look, yeah. like, and stops. Yeah. So I wasn't trying to, like, yell at it yeah. at that moment because you just never know what they're going to do. Have y'all, either one of y'all hunted Kansas? No. Nope. Okay. Because I saw some comments that were like, that's just not true. You can't rattle in Kansas deer left and right or whatever. Yeah. And, and I think, <laughs> I think this... The point we were trying to make with this one was not that hunting in Kansas is easy because you can rattle in a ton of deer whenever you want to. <laughs> the point was deer in the Ozarks are just different. They don't respond to rattling like they do in other places. You're probably not going to pull a deer a couple hundred yards off one spot to you with yeah. rattling in the Ozarks. Right. Like is that just because of density? Density of the landscape? Like there's so many more trees and stuff? Like why is that? It's a good question. It could be a, a couple of different things. One, the sound might not travel as far when you think about density of the foliage in, in between when you're in the thick stuff. The other thing too is like maybe visibility. If if a deer doesn't see what's going on in that thick stuff in the woods, maybe he is a little bit more weary about it. Mm -hmm. But if he can kind of like see across the field and he knows what's over there and he doesn't see anything or... You know, some guys in Kansas, they hunt decoys, like they'll use mm -hmm. a decoy. So if a deer sees that and then he hears the, the the rattling, he may be a little bit more inclined to go check it out. Also, maybe just like the deer are different. Like it could be their that instincts too. are just different. Yeah, it very well could be. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the, the that one was like, I, there were a few people who were like, y'all are just jealous. Y'all are jealous of Kansas and all <laughs> Which that. Which I will say, I am. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I wish our deer got that big too. Yeah. But yeah. They just don't. And, um, and it's just, it's just the, the point of that one was not emphasis on Kansas. It was more emphasis on the difference of the yeah. Ozark bucks, but <laughs> it sounds like we hate on Kansas a lot. There's another <laughs> reel in that episode that, uh, we're not going to show, but I'd love to talk about the Dolomite glades, the glades within the, uh, yeah. dude, you show me a video 
what was that? It was fascinating what glades are and like oh man, how they're kind of going extinct, like they're kind of falling away. Like, talk to me about that, man. Glades are cool. Like you, you hear glades and you think of the Everglades, or yeah. most people, I would think. Um, that's what I used to think of. But and so you think of swamps and you think of these places where like alligators live. Glades are just basically in, in the Ozarks. They're they're rocky outcroppings. They're clearings within. A, a, you know they're surrounded by forest and, and woods and stuff like that. And they are home to a variety of different um, species of plants, wildlife, flowers, different reptiles, like all Didn't of these. Can we see like cactus on that video? Yeah. In the Ozarks. Yeah. Like, There's like all kinds what? of different stuff that like kind of gravitates in these areas. And so they're just kind of cool little pockets, things to be aware of as you're hiking and scouting and, and you know, going through public lands. Like, boom, there's a glade. Check the edges of those glades and, and they make natural transition zones for deer so you can hunt an edge and stuff like that, but um, always, always check those out when you're when you're scouting in yeah. public land. Yeah, I just thought that was cool. Yeah, that is a cool one. We've we're actually going to talk with somebody about glades. In Are a, we in an upcoming episode? Yeah, glades, the Ozark Hellbender. We're getting Ooh. niche. Oh yeah, there's gonna be some good stuff coming out. Um, all right, we're gonna move on to the next one. This one, uh, this one was from an episode we did with Bob Cochran. Dr. Bob Cochran. Dr. Bob Cochran, who is um, a folklore expert professor at the University of Arkansas. And um, really unique episode. Cool just to, to hear some history of the Ozarks and how people were. And his, his point of view, if you remember from this episode, or what he was talking about, was these accounts from early travelers to the area mm-hmm. and what their takeaways were and how you had multiple different perspectives. Um, and so... This was a reel that I, I thought was was cool. And, and Kyle, you make a great point in this reel, but I'll, I'll play it right here. The spirit of the Ozarks in Arkansas and Missouri and what people had to do to survive. Some accounts are saying they're lazy, they're not planting, they're not doing anything. Other accounts are saying they're actually a little bit good at everything, yeah. really good at one thing. What are kind of the two rising identifiers that you see that have carried on early 1800s, now the early 2000s? On the positive side, I guess, knowing a little about everything, minimal competence in a broad range of activities is a signifier of competence, not just for men, but for women as well. I'll give you an example. A man is expected to be able to take care of his car. They would have had to take care of their horses. Yeah, you got to take Their gear, their guns. That's right. On the negative side, I don't know. The lack of respect for education would be the most thing. Now, I would be sensitive to that given that that's my job. Yeah, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Statistically, we have very low graduation rates and things like that. I thought that attitude of like, I can figure it out. I don't need anybody. I'm not going to pay somebody to do that. I'm going to make it happen on my own. I thought that was a plus Plunkett family trait. And you're now telling me, you know, that's part of being in the Ozarks. Yeah. The Plunkett's are long-time Ozarkers. Yeah. Kyle, for you, that was kind of a realization for you, it sounded like. Yeah, it really was. Like, as we were sitting mid-interview, I was having an epiphany. was <laughs> 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 uncovering layers of who I am uh, in, f- in front of Dr. Bob Cochran of like, yeah, family identity and all of it. And I wasn't I wasn't being untruthful and and saying I thought that was a Plunkett family trait. Yeah. Um, I thought it was. Like, I grew up with my my dad knowing how to do truly a little bit about everything. Mm -hmm. And his dad knowing how to do a little bit about everything. Now, they specialized. uh, Granddad and, you know, worked for big department stores and in finance and owned businesses. And my dad's a lawyer. And, like, they, you know, they know what they're doing and how to provide for their family. But my dad's the type who... He doesn't call an electrician. He does the like. He does he the electric work. Goes to figure it out. Yeah, or he doesn't. 
he doesn't take the truck to uh to the dealership unless it's like actually really messed up like he's gonna he's gonna fix it um and so i thought that was just who the plunkets were and after talking with him i was realizing like no that's just kind of being that's a product for being in the ozarks yeah well, yeah, I mean, you think about it back in the day, like when, when these accounts were, were being given and these travelers were coming through this area, it was the frontier. Mm-hmm. And these were people who had said, to heck with civilized society. I'm going to go make a name for myself. I'm going to go get some land and I'm just going to go live off of it and survive. And so, yeah, it's like you don't have those specialized people in town that you can go visit. You survive based on what you know or what your neighbor knows. And Mm -hmm. that's basically the only resources you kind of have at that point. Well, and something that I think is, it's interesting that we're doing this and we have a, we have a podcast that goes into a bunch of different ideas and tactics and stories. And something like that is so different from like bear hunting stories or how to kill a deer, how to catch a trout or whatever. Um, And I was even I'm going to ask you a question, Kyle, because this spirit kind of bleeds into even our business model a little bit. But you oftentimes talk about how you kind of want to figure out how to do everything, even if you're not really, really good at one thing. Yeah. Why is that? And then in the outdoor world, what are all the everythings? Oh, man, that's a good question. A lot to unpack there. I I think I think it's just, and, and maybe it really is, like I don't even realize it. It's just a a carrying on of that spirit of just wanting to know a little bit about everything. I just think that it, it would be really cool to have that knowledge to the capacity that I can go do this. And even if I'm not the best, like I can go do it and enjoy it and learn something new about it. And then to me, like I, within the outdoor world, I feel like I operate a lot on discovery. And so when I find you know, something new, like a new species of, you know, um, plant that like deer eat. I'm like, now I'm keyed in on that. And every time I go, I'm like, boom, deer eat that. Like, I got to keep track of that. And then when I'm in the creek and I'm I'm fishing for smallmouth and then I, I catch like, or I see a darter or a different type of crawdad or just different stuff. Like that's what draws me to it. So I like all the different little random pockets of things to to chase after and learn about. And I think that's what keeps me curious. I'm like, man, I want to ask this guy, like, what does he think about this? Or how does he do his job? Or stuff like that. I think that's kind of what what keeps me in that world. I have a question about the education piece. Because the positive was that you have minimal competency in all different areas. But he said the negative was uh, the education. Mm -hmm. Do you think if you were to go state by state and say you have a bar graph of like, education, competency, and being able to do a little bit of everything, that there would be a correlation across all states of, like, higher education, less know what they do, or less competency in minimal things, and then it flips? Or do you think, like, well, th- I think that probably, one, do you think that exists? Two, why do you, why do you think that is? Hmm. This will be an over-generalization of, of states and, and how all of that works, but say you have East Coast, West Coast, cities that have been established and functioning and, and kind of wealthy for a long time, you could have a high bar of education and then it almost negates the need to know how to do a lot of the other stuff. Like if you're going to be, if you come from some of the best educated parts of the country, you don't need to know how to, how to fix your electricity. You're just going to pay the guy to do it. Cause you probably are educated to the point 
historically, let's go back to kind of the early accounts of the the, the Ozarkers here. You don't need to know that because you're going to pay the guy to come figure it out and do it for you. Whereas people who were moving west and people who were moving to the Ozarks, they didn't have that luxury at all. And so I actually think the lower education uh, rates historically and, and some of that negative carryover is is less about them being uncomfortable or anti kind of institutional education and almost a we don't need like we don't need it we can survive on our own we have it figured out we 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 do what we do and we love it we actually don't need the institution to come in and tell us what we don't know and say we should be better so we can be like those guys because we don't want to be like those guys we like what we do we hunt we fish we do our thing and you know then we evolve and we get to the 21st century and that looks different but i think Arkansas and maybe parts of Missouri as a whole still has, like he was saying, a lower graduate graduation rate and lower uh, probably overall kind of view for education. Right. And I think some of that is carryover of we can just do it on our own and, and figure it out and we're fine. And I think some of that is probably um, just some kind of in, indwelt identity that is yeah. like probably should go away, but... Yeah, it well, hasn't yet. You mm-hmm. said something, and I don't, I don't know if you said this exactly, and I, know, I didn't realize it, but some of it might have to do with like population density. Mm-hmm. Like on the East Coast, bigger cities, you don't need to know how to do everything because there's someone else who knows how to do that little thing. Whereas, like in the Ozarks, the closest family, you could be away from someone, so you better know how to do at least everything a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if that played into it as well. And we're also, I feel like we're in a bubble because we're in a university town, so like. I think we all have college degrees and Mm -hmm. we, I love, I think education, I I think highly of it, Mm -hmm. but it gets, I feel like where you go, where there's less people, it starts to shift a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like a, if you're in a town back in the day, it's like, well, the the closest dentist is a two hour horse ride. (laughs) Like I better know how to take care of my teeth a little bit or, you know, somebody else or, um, you know, even something more general, like a a cobbler for shoes. Like the next closest cobbler is two hours away. I'm going to learn how to make some shoes or at least mm-hmm. get by without getting blisters in my feet or thorns yeah. in my feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. I don't know. No, it is. All right. I'm going to move on to our, our last one here. And, um, and this is one from the, uh, the Buffalo River redesignation episode we did with Misty Langdon. And, um, and this one kind of tugs on the heart, heartstrings a little bit. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of good information in that episode and, um, again, just a little bit of context, you know, we, we did the episode to talk about some recent news and, and a proposal of an idea to redesignate the Buffalo. And, um, there was a lot of pushback, you know, there's lots of news out there and you guys can obviously go Google it or you, you probably already know about it. But, um, this was a, a, a cool moment in the interview that she called attention to something that I think all of us kind of resonated with. Mm -hmm. So here it is. The Watershed Alliance, Farm Bureau, the Audubon Society, to have those people sit on the same panel and to represent their individual group to a community who is fairly polarized with some of those groups, to see that come together, that was the highlight of the whole event. It just showed that when push comes to shove, no matter our political preference, our religious preference, our stance on past issues, they still came together for the river. However this goes, that just let me know what community that I live in. Dan, what did that interview 
having sat through it, taking show notes, setting up cameras, all that. That's kind of how we wrapped things up was the the community coming together, the Buffalo Watershed Alliance, Farm Bureau, others, different political parties, like people who who fundamentally maybe want different things coming together to talk about the potential redesignation. What did that mean for you? Um, It was really cool. I mean, that was the part right before that she said this is the part that she's going to get emotional because I think there's a tendency to believe that people from a small town all think the same. But as she kind of stated, there's a lot of history of controversy around the river within groups that try to protect the river. And so to have all of them together and kind of laying aside their differences for the river, I thought was really, really cool. And she was, you could just feel the passion in the room. Like she was very invested and uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of palpable when we were interviewing her. So yeah, it was, I, for me, you know, hearing that where you have these groups and they all have their, their own idea for how to protect the river and they don't always align, you know, different interests and, and, and different ideas for what the river should be and how people should access it and use it and all that stuff. You know, I don't think about that a lot. So to hear her talk about that, I thought that was interesting. When you think about the political implications of this, aside from those groups, seeing this on the news and and recognizing that, you know, our governor and her husband have been pushing for development in our outdoor recreation economy and and hoping to see that grow tenfold. And and this is very, you know, likely one of the ideas that they had to achieve that. Um to see so many people, whether they voted for Governor Sanders or not, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it didn't matter. Like, they all came together and, you know, we all know where we live and, and we all know how this state historically votes. All these people, even though they likely voted for for Governor Sanders and and the ideas that she had, they came together and they're like, but but this, we're going to draw a line here. And we're going to stand side by side, holding hands and say, like, we have concerns, we have issues, we want to know more, and we're going to cause an uproar if if you don't treat this the way that it needs to be treated and, and keep everything on the table, um, above the table. Yeah. Uh, so that, that for me, that was cool to see, like, man, in a world where politics is so big and, and everyone is so black and white, and if you, you and I don't see eye to eye, like, we can't agree on anything, uh, to see everybody kind of put that aside... And just come to the table like, no, we're against this. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was conversing with someone after the episode came out. And uh, we we have different views on it. But the one thing we agreed on, and I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I haven't really even seen what the plan per se is. I don't even know if there's like a detailed plan out there of what this would be. There's not. But I think the outrage came from it almost felt like it was being done in secret, but then it was proposed as like, this is what everyone wants. Yeah. And that I think is the issue that probably most of the locals, like again, they don't have a map. They don't know what this is going to be, but it was handled very poorly by whoever was trying to handle it. I think even something like that, though it's not good, was able to rally the locals and be like, wait a second, did y'all vote on this? Like, did we, did we, anyone do the survey? Like what what was their survey and all this stuff? So um, yeah, it was just cool how the river has brought different people together. Mm-hmm. It just shows that Ozarkans want to, they're going to be honest people and they want to be dealt with honestly. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. 
I think we see that very, very clearly in all these conversations of we're happy to talk about it and, and go there if need be, but treat us like the intelligent human beings we are and go there honestly with us. Yeah. And, uh, and let's all bring something to the table and, and hash this out. And the fact that all these different groups that we just heard on the, the video are coming together uh, shows how much there is, how much love there is for the Buffalo River, mm. one. Um, but also shows that there's, there are probably more people willing to talk and more people wanting a seat at the table when it comes to anything Buffalo River uh, related than just one, in, one administration, right? And I think that's, I think it's good, healthy, civil government yeah <laughs> like at, at its at its best absolutely yeah. and, and you got to have accountability at, at all points of of power from the people all the way up to the leaders <clears throat> and um, and that's important to to maintain that accountability something that i wanted to mention as we we mentioned in the episode that we did with misty is we'll continue to you know we're, we're planning to do some more episodes on that on, on that topic um and and kind of approach it from some different perspectives and and hear from d- different people um, but I wanted to just, you know, mention as we're covering this, our idea is I think it's something that is important to us to cover um, personally, but it's also something that I think we're uniquely suited to do. Just being that you think about the podcasting format, I thought it, I think it's something that we can do in a way where you can let people have a mic, a conversation that is uninterrupted. It's, it's, um, it's not something that someone's going to argue with you. And you can just come on and like share your opinion. And I, I like, I really want us to be a place where people can do that. And you know, you're not going to come on here and like, we're just going to like tear you down because we disagree with you. Yeah. Like, let's hear it out. Like if there's economic benefits, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about what the environmental impact might be and what can we do to negate that if things were to proceed going forward. Um, and I just think that's something that it's cool. We've kind of worked ourselves into a place where we're, we can now do this and ask the questions and then let people who are listening kind of decide for themselves and weigh the different pros and cons. Yeah. And I just think of like a, a beautiful picture for the future. And hopefully this is what we're trying to do is if they're, let's just say five, 10 years, this gets approved, but the people on the board are, you know, half and half, it doesn't even have to be half and half, but people from watershed, farm bureau, Audubon, locals like Misty with people who are, wholly for not living there and all working together that will be the best product yeah by far right but it, at this point it hasn't been that it's just been people who don't even live there giving their opinion on it. and that and maybe that's just a starting and it leaked and whatever but the hope is that this would be something where people from all different backgrounds and opinions and views on it mm-hmm. can interact and make it the best possible project because at, at the end of the day we want what's best for the river yeah, and the wildlife and all that stuff. And, but you can't do that one-sided. Yeah. So. And, and the people who live there. I think that's yeah. the two things. It's like yeah. the river and the people. Yep. As long as you're keeping those two in mind first, like that's the priority, I think you'll land hopefully in, in a good spot. For sure. That's all we've got for you guys. We love doing these internals. It kind of gives us a chance to talk with y'all and, and let y'all hear a little bit more from us. But as always, we, we enjoyed it. We hope y'all enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. 
But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkins. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. 